Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're continuing our series called The Games People Play. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. So during this month, our series is The Games People Play. So let's review where we've been. Uh, Week one, Pastor Steve brought the game Jenga, which there's an example of it here, and really was challenging us to think about margin and space in our lives, making room for God, the ability to take a break and breathe in. And then uh, week two, Laura was here with the game Telephone. You may remember having the worship team up here, and she played the game with them a couple of times. The theme was, can we work at listening to God's voice and hear him better and better and better? Then in week three, Rod was here with the game Monopoly, and in an absolute shameless effort to be the most popular pastor on staff, he threw candy at us and invited the children to rush the stage for peppermint patties, and it was wild. But the theme that morning was, can we be like God and be givers rather than keepers? A word we need to hear. And then last week, Brian was with us with the game Perfection, and uh, the whole idea of will we be driven by how God describes us, or will we be driven by that inner voice or by the voices of other people? And that ends up shaping us. So a good word there. Today, the game is Balderdash. So how many of you have played this game before? Let's see. Oh, there's a number of you. Okay, we're going to play around, so let me explain it to you. When a person's turn is, they draw a card out, and they read some obscure, strange vocabulary word that no one's ever heard of, and everybody that's playing has a piece of paper, and they all make up a definition. It's just pure balderdash. And the idea of the game is you want to get other people to believe you even though you're making stuff up. So uh, Melinda, my wife and I, played this game about a month ago with some friends, And uh, here is a word that we came up with, and you need to put your smart devices away. No cheating on this. So the word is uh, siffleur. It has some sort of a French origin to it. Now, here's five definitions that our group came up with, and one of these is true. Okay, so number one, combining several perfumes to create a new scent. Is that siffleur? Or how about Siffleur, is it a professional whistler? Or number two, could Siffleur be a daisy, some sort of a flower? Number three, could it be an embroidery design, Siffleur? Or number five, could it be a maid responsible for barnyard animals? That pretty little French Siffleur you've got. All right, so you ready? Here's how we're going to play the game. If you think that number one is true, stand up. All right, let me look. Let me look. All right, I got a few of you. Okay, you can be seated. How about number two? How many of you think that it's a professional whistler? All right, 
There's a few more. We're gaining a few. Okay, you can be seated. All right, how about number three? How many of you think it's a daisy? It's a flower. All right, you better hope you're right because there's a prize. All right, how about number four? How many of you think it's an embroidery design? You know, this is really consistent because every service has guessed this, so we're going to see if you're right as read the majority. All right, how about number five? How many of you want that pretty maid in your backyard? All right. Okay, you ready for the truth? Survey said. Number two. All right, if you guessed it right, turn to the person next to you and say, you're full of balderdash. Just tell them. Maybe all of you should do that anyway. Just tell each other that. Okay, so this is a great game. Uh, It's a lot of fun when you play it. A lot of crazy things come up. And again, it's all based on getting people to believe something that you've written down that isn't true. It's about deception. But this game in real life, unfortunately, is very true across our nation because we live in a culture of dishonesty and a culture of deception, a culture that really says you are going to lie in your life and that's the way that you get by and it's okay. We live in a culture of dishonesty and deception. I'm sure many of you are going to remember the story of Brian Williams. Brian was the lead news anchor for NBC. And Brian lied to NBC and to us on his resume. Brian said that he had been involved in certain reporting incidents and events, and he had been in certain places where he had never been. And the truth came out. NBC put him on the shelf for about six months or so, and then this summer, now I think it was in June, NBC demoted him to one of their cable channels where he's some sort of a special reporter, and Brian has been disgraced, he's embarrassed, he's been shamed by this because he lied and the truth came to the surface, and it will, the truth will come out. Last year, in 2014, the Supreme Court received a friend-of-the-court brief through the president's office, and they were asked to make a ruling on this. If a person is involved in a political campaign, and during that campaign they lie, can they be punished for lying? Supreme Court received that to rule on it. They were unanimous, nine to zero, no. Now, do you understand what the Supreme Court is saying? The Supreme Court is saying that politicians can lie and not be punished. Now, understand the slippery slope that we're on. So if it's now legal to lie in politics, which is the next profession that will also say, well, it's legal for us to lie in this profession? And then the next one, and then the next one. Do you see the slope that we're on now? 
where lying is now becoming legalized and it's just expected. You know, when this thing with Brian Williams broke out, there was a lot of chatter going on about this and you realize that the vast majority of the chatter was, what's the big deal? Nobody got hurt. That's what people were saying. It's not a big deal. In other words, again, we're expected to be dishonest and to deceive people. That's the way we live life. The Gallup organization every year does a survey in November, December, where they ask the American public the same question year after year. And the question is, which professions do you trust the most and therefore, which do you trust the least? So every year they ask that question. Every year, the results are almost identical. At the very top of the survey, the, the professions that we as the public trust the most are in the medical field. Nurses, doctors, pharmacists, and so on. Anybody want to guess who consistently lands at the bottom? You all seem to be saying politicians. Why is that? It's now legal for them to lie. Do you think the Gallup poll is going to change any? No. We live in a culture of balderdash, people. And this is a culture of secrets. It's a culture when I'm dishonest, I'm holding things and keeping secrets from others and it's a cycle that just keeps going. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a great phrase that they use. And the phrase is, you are only as sick as your secrets. Okay, are you catching that? You are only as sick as your secrets. When we are living this life of balderdash, and we've got secrets and we're deceiving and dishonest, it is a life that captures us and it actually puts us in prison. Because by doing that, now we have to maintain that lie with more lies and then with more deception and dishonesty and it just puts us in prison and captures us. And eventually, the truth will come out we will be exposed, and we end in shame, disgrace, embarrassment, and so on. A life of balderdash breaks relational trust with others, and when relational trust has been broken, it is so hard to rebuild. So during this month, we've got the kids here with us, and today we're talking about honesty, dishonesty, and it seems appropriate if I tell you the very first lie I ever told my parents. So kids, give me your ears and eyes up here for a moment. So I was about four or five years old, and one day I went over to my grandparents' house to play, and Grandpa owned a 22 rifle, and my dad didn't own any guns, so this was really fascinating to me. And that day I was sitting at Grandpa's desk, and I pulled the drawer open, and inside the drawer were some loose 22 bullets. And I think my eyes got big and look at them and I touched them and I took one and put it in my pocket. 
And yes, I do need to confess that my life of crime started early at four or five with theft. I don't know what I was thinking and what I was going to do with it. It just that this bullet fascinated me and okay. And went out, left, and promptly forgot about it because those pants landed in the wash. And my mom does the wash and she was a good mom and puts hands in pockets and she pulls out a bullet and says, Gordon, come here. What is this bullet doing in your pocket? And I looked at my mom and I said, I found it outside playing in the dirt. Just flat lied to mom and she bought the lie. Dad was a farmer and we lived on the farm and that wasn't a big deal probably in her mind and just told her a lie. Now, here's the deal. I never confessed that lie to my mom until about 10, 15 years ago. So I was four or five at the time, and now I'm six. Never mind how old I am, but <laughs> I was 10, to 10, 15 years ago. I was preaching at another church where I was a pastor, and they were visiting us on the weekend and sitting in church. I don't even know what I was preaching on, probably something similar to this. And I looked at mom in the middle of the service and I said, Mom, I need to confess something to you. <laughs> And I'm sure she had forgot about it already. Um, but I held on to that secret all those years. And probably a lot of us would say, hey, Gordon, that's a pretty small thing, a little white lie, nobody got hurt, what's the big deal? I remember the details of that. I remember the details to that. And when we live in Balderdash, it captures us and it puts us in prison to the lie. Now the good news is is that Jesus offers a different way. He offers a way that actually liberates us as opposed to imprisons us. And so I want you to take your Bibles, would you, and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you're using uh, one of the Pew Bibles, you're going to find this on page 1690. 1690. So John chapter 8. Let me just set the stage here. In John 8, Jesus is having this lengthy conversation the entire chapter with primarily the religious leaders, and there were some other people in the crowd there as well. And it, as it oftentimes turned with religious leaders, into a debate. Jesus was talking about who he is, where he came from, and they can't receive that, and so this debate goes on. But he's describing himself, and then let's pick it up in verse 30. John 8, verse 30 says, Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if... You remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So let's pull four things out of this. The first is from verse 30, and that's that Jesus' testimony is enough to lead some to place faith in him. 
So Jesus has been, he started in verse 12 where he said, I'm the light of the world, and he invited people to follow. And then he goes on to say things like, I'm from above, you're from below. I'm only teaching things that the Father teaches me. And at some point, with some of the people who were listening, something clicked, and they put faith in him. That was enough for them to place faith in Christ. Now, I'm guessing that in a group in our church like this, there are a number of you that your story would be similar. Maybe somebody gave you a Bible and you began to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and as you read the words of Jesus, that was enough. And you said, he's the one, I want to start following him. Or maybe someone read these to you They read the words of Jesus, and you said, yes, I want to be a follower of Christ. That's enough. And I commend you for that. That's a great testimony. And Jesus' words on their own have power, and they're enough for some to place faith in him. So that leads us to the second thing, though, and that's in verse 31. Followership is marked by obedience, not self leadership. So Jesus recognizes, okay, people are starting to put faith in me, and he hits the pause button. He says, now wait, there are implications if you're going to follow me. And the implication is, is that you no longer call the shots. I do. You're a follower, and followers obey what I say. You know, it's easy for us to follow Jesus when we define who he is and what he's about. Because then we've got a path and we say, sure, because we can make him like we want him. But Jesus here had been defining himself. He said, this is who I am. This is the way I am. And if we're going to follow him, then he says, followers obey. And that's harder. That's harder when Jesus defines who he is and sets the pattern. True discipleship is always tested by obedience to Jesus. And so we say, okay, where are we at with that? True discipleship is more than just saying the words. It's more than just an intellectual thing or just a verbal thing to say, yeah, I'm a follower. No, it's tested by obedience. And so followers accept and obey. They accept what Jesus says, and they obey. So that leads us then to number three, and that's in verse 32. And that's that followers experience freedom through truth. So here's what we need for a life of balderdash. We need that very word in verse 32. A little bit later, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus uttered words that probably many of you have read where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So to know Jesus is actually to know truth. And the truth, first of all, is a person. It's not simply ink on paper. Knowing truth is actually a person. So Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is, first of all, a person. 
where we come into the truth and the truth comes into us. And then that marks us. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So truth produces a life free of balderdash. Jesus, the truth, frees us from the consequences of sin. He frees us from self-deception. He frees us from the deception of Satan. And we're free now to follow Christ and to become everything that he wants us to be. No more secrets. No more faking it. We experience victory rather than defeat because we experience freedom. A life of balderdash is marked by secrets, lies, maintaining some sort of a false image that ultimately imprisons us in that cycle and it just keeps repeating itself. So I'm a sports fan. I like to follow sports, uh, have favorite teams, probably like some of you. Professional sports is riddled with balderdash, right? It is because there's a lot of athletes who are cheating and they're lying about it. I, this is baseball season. So Pete Rose, Hall of Fame career, gambled on baseball and lied, 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 lied until finally, yeah, I did, a little bit of truth came out. Apparently even this summer, it appears a little bit more, came out. Pete was banned from baseball. He'll probably never be voted into the Hall of Fame even though he had that kind of a career because he lied. What would have happened if he would have told the truth right off the bat? Other examples, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens have this cloud of suspicion hanging over them because there's evidence that they have cheated with performance-enhancing drugs, but they've said no, 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 no. And so there's suspicion hanging over them. Like, I don't think I can trust them in what they say. Let's switch sports. How about cycling? Just finished the Tour de France. Lance Armstrong won that race seven consecutive years, which is just unheard of. But there was this cloud hanging over him that he was using drugs to enhance his performance. And he denied, 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 denied until finally a few years ago he said, yes, I'd had, I'd been cheating. Stripped of every award, stripped of every honor, and now the name Lance Armstrong is simply a joke. It's used in public. He's in disgrace by this, been embarrassed by this, been humiliated. People whose lives are marked by balderdash eventually are discovered. And they end up in shame and disgrace. But Jesus says the truth will set us free. And so that brings us to the last point, number four. A city at peace with God, requires truth. If you're a guest here this morning, we as a church are driven by this visionary statement, a city at peace with God. That just undergirds us. But a city at peace with God requires people who start with truth, experience freedom, and when we experience freedom, we experience peace. 
And that's the offer that Jesus brings to us. A city at peace with God starts with individuals who are at peace with God because they are living a truthful life, they're experiencing freedom, and then peace is theirs in their life. So here's how, unfortunately, this tends to happen. I don't know, well, maybe I do know why, but truth, when people have had secrets that they're carrying, tends to come out in layers. It's like one layer of balderdash comes on, and then there's some time span, and then a layer of balderdash comes off, and then another layer of balderdash a little bit later, and so on. And I don't know how much freedom they're experiencing, and they certainly are leaving a wake of pain behind them with the people who love them and care about them. And yes, this message, we can't go into every detail about that because of time. Yeah, there are some risks in telling the truth, and we need to choose the right people that we share truth with. But Jesus offers us this life of freedom and of peace where if we will be honest in our lives, we receive the truth in, we live in the truth, Jesus, and we have a life that's marked by truth, we will experience freedom and peace will come and we'll stop hurting the people who relationally are connected to us and we'll start rebuilding those. So Jesus offers us that sort of life. And not just to do it in peels, because that just continues the pain. Jesus offers hope in this. Follow me. Come to know the truth. Freedom. Peace. We'll be free from our past so that we can move ahead and move forward. And we can learn from that and we can deal then truthfully with whatever's happened from those secrets. Years after John chapter 8, Peter wrote a letter to the church. He wrote a letter to us. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Peter said this, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I'm guessing that Peter may have remembered the words of Jesus when he wrote this. Because he says, live as people who are free. Well, how does that come about? By becoming a follower of Christ. But we're not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil. That means I'm not leading my life. I'm following. I'm obeying. And then I become a servant. There's freedom. There's peace. So live as people who are free. We need to end with some good news on this. There's way too many examples of the opposite. But let's return to sports. In uh, baseball, Andy Pettit uh, was a pitcher for the New York Yankees. Andy is a follower of Christ. And when the scandal of the performance-enhancing drugs hit the scene, Andy's name was implicated as someone who had been guilty. And Andy did something that's almost unheard of. 
He called a news conference and he told the truth. Let's listen to Andy's testimony. I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Moved to Texas when I was in third grade. That was really the first time I started playing hardball. My sister had invited me to go uh, with her to a church that a friend brought her to. And it was the first time that I had heard that you could have a relationship with Christ. It was just real personal. From that time, uh, when God came into my life and, and my life was changed, you know, there was no doubt about that, that the day I accepted the Lord. For me, my favorite moment would probably be just in 1996 uh, with the New York Yankees. It was the first World Series that I had an opportunity to play in. I pitched terrible in game one, uh, got the loss and, and got knocked around, but was able to throw a good game in Atlanta and beat John Smoltz uh, one and nothing in that game. And had an opportunity to play in eight World Series now and, and, and win five of them. So I've been extremely blessed. The whole situation with me and anyone who's followed my career and has followed the game has probably have known about the situation that came with me with the HGH. I've been a Christian since I was 11 years old. I mean, me and my wife were committed to one another. I met her when I was 15 years old. And, you know, we didn't have sex before we got married. We were committed to that. You know, I, I don't drink, you know, I, I don't swear. You know, so from the world's eyes, you look at me like, this guy's got it all together. Uh, and, and when that comes out, I feel like, man, I've lived my entire life to try to honor God and try to do things uh, that would bring glory to Him. And in one incident, all that's ruined. I did something, and you have to own up to it, and didn't want to lie about it, you know? I just, I couldn't sleep. I wasn't going to be able to sleep. God revealed himself to me more than I ever could imagine. Just by showing me how powerful he is, whenever you come out and you just tell the truth about something and you just hand it over to him and you know that if I try to handle this, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. taking care of me through all this, he's taking care of my wife, he's taking care of my kids. The opportunities that God has given me uh, over the last five years and to share my faith and to share what God's done in my life and in my kids' life, you know, you know that, that, that it's all going to be all right and it's all going to be good. And everything I've been through hadn't been a secret to him, you know, it's not a surprise to him. This hasn't snuck up on him. Uh, he's got a he's got a plan for my life. He's a, he's a comforter for me. He's I mean the peace that I have. Um, he helps me to be able to perform uh, the way that I perform. 
uh, in this game because I'm secure in Him. takes a, a, a huge traumatic event in my life to continue to draw me closer to God, I'm ready for it and, and bring it on, you know? So here's the outcome of that. Yeah. It's great to hear a story of truth, isn't it? Andy's career from then on never had suspicion hanging over it. Why? He told the truth. He experienced freedom. He experienced peace. And he wasn't dogged anymore by this suspicion like other athletes have been. He finished well with that. And so Jesus invites us into that kind of life, friends. He invites us into life to say, let the truth come in, come into the truth. My promise is you're going to experience freedom, and my promise is that you will experience peace. Remember that you're only as sick as your secrets, and you're only as free as the truth is in you. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.